0: Hi, my name is Jacob Collins-Brown, and this is UKBF Stories, where we are telling the story of small businesses across the UK and shining a spotlight on their journey.
1: Hi, I'm Richard, and today I'm here with Emma Jones, founder of Enterprise Nation, author of a number of uh, startup small business books, including Working 9 to 5 and Startup Kit. And as of last year, awarded the CBE for services to small business and entrepreneurs, somebody I've admired for many years. Thank you for joining us, Emma.
2: Thank you for having Thank me, you. Richard. Lovely to be here.
1: Yeah. The when I was looking at how to do the intro, there you've achieved so much and you do so much for small business. I was literally having to think, what do I how do I keep this in a bite-sized <laughs> chunk? But you really have achieved. A hell of a lot and in particular through your work with Enterprise Nation. Uh, so tell us what is Enterprise Nation? What does Enterprise Nation do for people?
2: Well, lovely to be here and uh, anytime somebody tells me I've achieved a lot, it just makes me feel very old and I just feel like saying I've just been around for a while. <laughs> um but yes lovely to be here Richard Enterprise Nation is a business that has been going for more than a decade and maybe we'll talk about what came before it but Enterprise Nation is a business support platform and provider so we help people start and grow their own small business we have been doing it for a long time Uh, of course conditions change for small businesses so we always have to react to that but yeah, the heart of the business is enterprisenation.com. We welcome lots of small businesses and hopefully get them the support they need.
1: And it's the real emphasise, when I was sort of looking at how Enterprise Nation came about, it really was the focus on giving people the opportunity or helping them, particularly starting up from home, which is, um, to quote one of your books, sort of like working uh, five to nine, uh, where people who want to be in charge of their own destiny, perhaps, you know, if they want to start their business. and bringing that into one central place for them to look.
2: Well, this so, is the interesting thing, is everyone now starts their business <laughs> from home. So I feel we were kind of doing that, kind of starting that a decade plus. And the, and the reason I did start Enterprise Nation as what was called the home business website And you mentioned a couple of books. My first book was actually called Spare Room Startup, How to Start a Business from Home. We launched the Home Business Awards. The reason why I did that was just based on personal experience that I had started my first company, grown it and then sold it, actually, all whilst operating from a home office. And at the time, and bearing in mind this is back in kind of mid 2000s, I kind of looked around in the market and thought, I don't think there's that much support available for people who want to do this. So that was where Enterprise Nation came from. Yeah,
1: and that's a, that's a perfect segue, really. If we look at your journey and what inspires you and what sort of makes you the person you are to do what you do, the now I can... I can relate to this because I had a few years in Wales, but I was North Wales. So you grew up in um, Newport, was it?
2: Well, not Newport, Wales, Newport, Shropshire. So Newport, still on the North Wales border.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so literally, I have to correct that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, what was growing up like in that area? So, sort of starting from like your sort of, your youngest schooling, what sort of inspirations or, you know, was, inspired you during those younger years
2: well I have to say the women in my family and that's no offense to the men in my family but I was very lucky um, that I grew up um, I had an incredible grandmother who was a very uh, powerful personality um, and because she was a powerful personality she raised a whole cohort of kids including three daughters who went off to start their own businesses Including my mum. So, my mum in Newport, Shropshire, ran restaurants. And so, as I was growing up as a kid, um, pretty much from the age of about 10 or 11, I was growing up on top of restaurants. So, mum would open on the shop floor, we'd have a restaurant on the ground floor. My brother, mum, and I would live up here. My mum and dad got divorced when I was young, but dad has always been around. And of course, when you live above a restaurant, and your mum's running it, your mum is getting you going downstairs. I was waiting on from the age of 12, my brother was washing dishes, so yeah, I kind of grew up in this, and you don't realise it at the time, but I grew up in what was a very entrepreneurial household and memories for me and probably kind of the biggest thing I took away from my childhood is, I absolutely could make the connection that the better mum's business was doing the better our livelihood was as a family. So I would come home from school and my brother, who's now become a very successful accountant, we would sit round the dinner table And mum would take us through the figures. We'd kind of say, what were the takings today? So she was giving
1: you effectively business lessons on how to run a business at that young age. But
2: it wasn't in a forced way. And and maybe that kind of comes across and people think, what a weird childhood that you were talking about, the business takings. It was just a natural thing that my brother and I would come home. We'd be like, hey, mum, how was your day? Was it busy in the restaurant? And what we could connect is that we knew when the restaurant was busy, we'd get a new pair of trainers or go on a nice holiday. And of course, what you get from that is just this, and as I say, it's the most natural thing in the world, but you grow up in an environment that celebrates hard work. All you know is building your own livelihood. And therefore, I did get jobs when I left university. I had one job with a company, but ultimately kind of self-employment was all I knew.
1: Yeah, And I don't, uh, for me, I don't take that as being forced upon when you talk about sort of showing how the business actually functions. I see that as quite a really inspirational way to encourage and sort of show your children um, how business works. So that opportunities, which clearly happened for you, is there for them.
2: So it's really interesting, actually, when Enterprise Nation did start, and as you say, it was very focused on people starting businesses from home, One of the things I would talk to government about a lot is if you have parents who are starting businesses from home and the kids are picking up the phone at the weekend saying, hello, company ABC, how can I help you? What you are naturally doing is educating the next generation of entrepreneurs. And that and of course, there's lots of talk at the moment about how do we get entrepreneurship on the school curriculum? That's hard to do because teachers are busy. Is the school the right place in which it should be taught? Whereas actually, if you encourage more people to start businesses, something that you and I share a joint passion for, if you encourage people to start businesses, they are naturally delivering that education to their kids.
1: You've touched on something that I wanted to come to later, but it's such an important part, I'll sort of shoehorn it in here really, is the APPG for Entrepreneurship have just published a paper about bringing uh, entrepreneurship and business into the curriculum, and we know, because UKBF have done some research into this, that through some Freedom of Information Act and data that we have, about 10,000 people of school age start a business every year. Mm. And by school age, I'm defining that as somebody who would you would naturally expect to go on to sixth form in college, so 16, 17, in t- towards 18. And we all know that high school, which is their last part of education, has no... Aspect of the curriculum or the education that teaches them what VAT is, uh, what income tax is, um, even what an actual company is. You do sort of pet projects like tenor challenges and things like that, but the, uh, which will show you skirt around the edges. But we've got ten thousand people a year in this country who are starting a business with absolutely no training and uh, teaching of what they're actually going into.
2: And we definitely need to address that. And it's yeah. one thing that we see at Enterprise Nation at the moment is Gen Z. young. Yeah. The, the majority of young people say at some point in their working lives, they want to become their own boss. So their entrepreneurial spirit is there. And actually, I, I went to the launch of that report, and the, a big driver behind that is a great lady called Sam Smith, who up until a couple of weeks ago ran FinCAP. She's actually just stepped back. And I actually think, and, and maybe we'll talk a bit more to this point, there is a huge role that entrepreneurs can play when they get the bit between their teeth sam smith is saying you know we've published this report i really want to work with government to get entrepreneurship in the school curriculum and i think that's what it takes we've got a very <laughs> we've got a very hybrid government at the moment but we do have a conservative government who are open to new ideas about entrepreneurship But what it takes, actually, is stamina to kind of stick to an agenda, keep on working with stakeholders to try and get it through. But as you say, if you look back compared to years gone by, we used to have young enterprise. There's more competitions now to enable young people to start businesses. And, of course, the biggest enabler for young people is technology. They're turning to TikTok. They're using WhatsApp. They're going on Instagram. And they're just... You know, putting their creativity out there and thinking, actually, maybe I can earn some cash. So it's how do we take those certain elements and just get this string of enterprise education going through it, which raises lots of questions of who are the best influencers of enterprise yeah. education, who is best to teach it. And I'm sorry to say, I do go back to this incredible role of family and friends. If you grow up as a kid and you can see people around you who look like you who've started and grown businesses, it is still much more likely that you will do the same thing because it feels normal. So the more we can grow the small business population, we'll be doing a great thing because the more that people will start their own.
1: I feel a webinar or a session coming on (laughs) to cover this because we are touching on a subject that we're both very passionate about. We both... um, get involved in education and supporting some people. I, so I, I do see something in the making there to try and uh, to push this through. But what I'd like to do, um, I'd like to talk about you yeah, the, the, uh, uh, some more and really um, sort of what your journey in entrepreneurialism, um, you was really uh, inspired by your mum and running, running her own business. You got really involved in that. Um, and so I'd say sort of lit the fire. Uh, You then went into university, studied law and um, Japanese. Correct. uh, And then moved to Japan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What inspired those steps? And what I'd like to ask is, at that point of going to university and then going to Japan, was you already having the mindset and thoughts of, I'm going to run my own business?
2: Well, my first business was created in Japan, so I definitely kind of had those thoughts. But yeah, just a tiny backtrack to why law and Japanese. So um, this kind of entrepreneurial mum that I had uh, worked really hard to put me in a fee-paying school. So I went to a girls' school called Shrewsbury High School, had an amazing education. Um, But actually, it got to sixth form and my mum was like, actually, Emma, I think you're getting a bit too snobby and <laughs> so she was like i'm going to pull you out of that school and essentially she felt that i should have more diverse influences around me so again and um i think people in business quite often use the word luck but i was very lucky that i got a scholarship to go to a, an international college which was in shropshire in a place called acton Burnell, an amazing place called concord college And so I went there to do my A-levels, and of a school population of over 200 students, there were only four British people, of which I was one. And all of a sudden, my eyes were opened up to this incredibly cosmopolitan, global culture. I was secretary of the International Society. I ran events with the Greeks and all of the Middle Eastern community. And I had wanted to go to university just to do law. But at the time, the Japanese economy was really starting to take off. There was a very strong Japanese community at Concord in my college. And I thought, actually, this Cardiff University had introduced this new course of law and Japanese. And from a business perspective, I thought, actually, won't I be a more rounded person if I do the strict discipline of law, but if I add on this kind of linguistic capability in an economy that's growing, surely that will be good for me. So I got into Cardiff to do law and Japanese, and actually my move to Japan was my third year of that course. Right. So I went, I lived with a real Japanese family, most incredible experience, and i um, And actually, my first couple of years at university, I probably played a bit too hard. And so what my year in Japan taught me is I went to a country where work ethic was insane. And again, this was at the time, this was late 90s. Um, This was at the time when the Japanese economy was roaring. And you had this concept of salaryman, so, you know, the salaryman of Japan. And true enough, they would get up early in the morning. It's very sexist, but it it was quite a sexist country at the time. Salary men would get up in the morning, they'd go into the offices, they'd power this economy. And I was kind of really taught in that year, come on, Emma, you've got to get more serious about, you need to put work in to get the rewards out. But during that year, I started a school teaching Japanese kids how to speak English. So that was my first business. And yeah, I kind of came back, finished off my degree and then took, took my first job, which was still relating to Japan. So worked for a company called Arthur Anderson, helping Japanese companies move into the UK. But yeah, each of those kind of life experiences, you kind of have this entrepreneurial foundation. Then I kind of played around a little bit too much while I got the freedom of university. And then you go to a country like Japan where you just see... You know the benefit of having structure. Dare I say, an economic plan which they had for their country, and you've got to put the elbow grease in to make it work.
1: I've seen that in the limited experience I've had in China. Very similar work ethic. It is like work, the work and social home are so intertwined because it's all about building your success in your the sort of you know, the building yourself up. Uh, it's. It, for me it was inspiring to see that eastern culture myself only but i was only like we talking about a month as opposed to <laughs> a year but the, when you came back to uk and the, the first job you took which was around inward investment the am i correct in saying that your experience there and working there uh, and i'd love to know what it was about the dot-com sort of boom that really sort of got your uh, engine running and sort of thinking about your next business um, because they're related, aren't they?
2: They are, and it was an amazing time. So yeah, I started with Arthur Anderson, uh, started in this team attracting Japanese inward investors. And again, I I spent five years at Arthur Anderson, and and many of your listeners and viewers may not have heard of Arthur Anderson, but when I joined, it was the world's leading and largest professional services organization, now known as kind of one of the big five accounting firms. And it was the most incredible grounding for me to then start my first business because, you know, I still remember it now, we kind of were inducted into Arthur Anderson We were then sent to a place called Eindhoven and in Chicago to have training.
1: For a minute there, I thought you were saying Eindhoven in Holland.
2: No, Well, and we did. So it's Eindhoven in Holland and Chicago, a place called St Charles in Chicago, where we were sent to kind of be, people used to call us androids. So um, we were all kind of inducted. But again, the training at Arthur Anderson was just impeccable. And in the five years I spent at the firm, I guess what I did learn is how to deal with clients how to meet client deadlines, um, how to work effectively. Again, the motto at Anderson's was very much work hard, play hard. So you would be expected to work hard. You'd be expected to take clients out and kind of do all of that. So just an incredible grounding that prepares someone really well for starting a business. But five years into Anderson's, I'd started in the London office, moved to Leeds to then open up an inward investment unit. And then I was in the Manchester office. But the year was 2000 and um, it was the height of the dot-com boom. And I would sit in the Anderson's Manchester office each morning reading the Financial Times and every day I was super inspired by people raising money, starting dot-com companies, changing the way in which things were done. I was reading lots of books around the dot-com, an incredible one written by Kevin Kelly, which was kind of the thing that helped me start my first business. And essentially, I just kind of read all these stories and thought, I feel incredibly inspired to do this myself. So I went to see my boss at Anderson's and I said, look, I'm going to take what I do here, which was inward investment, and I want to put that online. I want to become a dot com entrepreneur. And Anderson's were great. My boss at the time, he then said, "Okay, I'm going to help you raise money for this company and actually, kind of long story short, I started, so my first business was called Techlicate.com. I started it with a co-founder, Enterprise Nation. I'm a sole founder of my first business. There were two of us. And sure enough, with help from an Anderson's partner, we took a business plan to a corporate finance house. We said, right, because this is what everyone was doing at the time. We said, right, we want to raise loads of money. Got no idea how we're going to make any money, but that's what you do. And I was amazed that really established venture capital outfits at the time said, we'll give you the money. And this goes back to my childhood is I remember the first pitch meeting. We said, we want this much money. We don't know how we're going to pay you back. They said, right, we're going to give you this money. And I left that meeting and I said to my co-founder, there seems something wrong in this. I cannot take money from someone when I don't know how we're going to make money to pay that back. It feels wrong. In a restaurant, you serve food and drink. You get paid for serving yeah. the food and drink. It's very understandable. And I couldn't get this concept. And therefore, we didn't take any venture capital money to get Techlicate launched. Instead, we went out, we made yeah. sales, which is pretty much all I know. And it's still a big piece of advice I give to businesses today. I know lots of people go out and raise money very early, but I am still a huge believer in come up with a product or service that somebody will pay for and build your business through sales, because I feel that creates a stronger business. So we started technicate.com by selling what we had, and pretty much within 15 months, we had an acquisition approach. So that first business was a two-year story of start, scale, and within two years, I
1: sold. The And I think the bit that's really worth highlighting is this was a home business. Tetlocate was something that you started and ran from your home.
2: Absolutely. And I still, again, I still tell this story to today because I think it's one thing that anyone who has worked in a corporation and then starts their own business needs to be aware of, is I always remember I left Arthur Anderson on the Friday, rocked up in my spare room in my Manchester flat on the Monday morning and... I'd bought this cheap laptop to get the business started because we started it on a budget because we didn't raise money. you know, I went to Manchester Library to get free internet access. I bought a cheap laptop. We were starting on a budget. And I opened this laptop and my co-founder hadn't yet left his work. So I'd left my job to start it. He hadn't yet left his work. And so I was on my own kind of starting out. So I was doing research. Anyway, something went wrong with the laptop and i instinctively picked up the phone dialed 121 which is what we used to dial at anderson's for tech support and <laughs> as i picked up i was like no that's no. not there anymore and you just have to all of a sudden it's you go from this having this wonderful infrastructure of support and then you're on your own but of course that's part of the beauty of starting and growing your own business you have to learn it all And maybe we'll come into tips, but just kind of, again, advice we give to business owners is at the beginning, you have to learn it all and you have to do all of those things. But advice I do give is as soon as you possibly can, bear in mind this concept of focus on what you do best and outsource the rest. So as budget is coming in, focus your time on the thing you do really well in the business and hopefully hire or contract with others to do the bits that are not your strong suit.
0: So whilst I've got you here, are you running your own or have a keen interest in small business? Then UKBF is here for you. Visit ukbf.co.uk and become part of our vibrant community to meet other like-minded business owners and tap into a wealth of expertise and experience to help your business thrive. Now, back to the
1: story. You obviously is sold. What was lifelike in the journey then? Because having had a sale, I can imagine that's euphoria. Um, But you have commitments that goes with a business sale. And then you moved towards and eventually launched into uh, Enterprise Nation. So what was that life journey during those times?
2: It was really interesting, actually. So we sold to a company called Tenon. They're now called RSM Tenon. And um, when Adam and I sold, we had what was called an 18-month lock-in clause. So Tenon said, right, we'll buy, but you have to stay with us for 18 months. So I became a director at Tenon. And I really tried to kind of get into the kind of whole, right, we're now part of the Tenon family. Buy into this. But again, for your listeners and viewers, they'll understand this. Once you've started your own business, it's then really hard to go and work for somebody else. So, I, for that 18 months, I had a boss all of a sudden, which is always <laughs> difficult to deal with. Uh, even though, as, as my investor said to me the other day, Emma, everyone always has a boss. It just depends on who it is. Um, so, I spent 18 months essentially working the day job. I delivered what I needed to do for Tenon. But I spent nights and weekends thinking, what shall I do next? And throughout that period, my co-founder with technocate.com, great guy called Adam Breeze, I pitched him loads of ideas. And I kept on going back to him saying, we can do this next. What about this next? And I remember, again, I was still living in Manchester. I would meet him in multiple coffee shops around Manchester and say, right, this can be our next idea. And he didn't like any of them. And, um, so you really
1: had the bug. You was like, I'm going, I'm going alone again.
2: I knew that, I, you know, was and um, pretty much the day my locking clause came to an end was the day that I left to start Enterprise Nation. And just a little segue into Enterprise Nation in terms of where that came from, and it gives a hint in terms of the name, is I read an incredible book during this 18 months called Free Agent Nation, written by an amazing author called Dan Pink. He's still a very prolific author. And essentially what this book charted was the rise of the self-employed in America. So what Dan was looking at is loads of people are going self-employed, but does America count this economy? Does it service it well? Is there enough support for these people? What does the future of tax look like if you've got lots of people starting businesses? And I read this book and I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to happen in the UK. People are going to start businesses in the UK because they're going to want all these things that Americans want, like freedom and flexibility and be able to earn on their own terms. So I read the book, I bought 10 copies, posted it to kind of my nearest and dearest and said, you have to read this book. I got Dan over to come and speak in the UK. (laughs) And essentially what came from that is I thought I want my next business to help people to start and grow their own businesses because I think it's going to be big business, So, of course, the name Enterprise Nation comes a little bit on the coattails of Free Agent Nation.
1: Yeah, I picked up on that and I thought that was interesting, both inspiration for the idea itself um, and from your own experience, but also, yeah, the name that came from it. So what was the first few years of Enterprise Nation like? Sort of back, because you started it on your own this time. Uh, So you're back in a room, effectively, with a phone, so that that sort of picture. So what was the first few years?
2: And it literally was that. And I don't like this term, Richard, but it was what it was, is it was a lifestyle business. So I started Enterprise Nation as a consulting business. It was just me. And actually what I did for quite a few first few years is I um, was consulting for regional development agencies, So I went to work with regional development agencies and giving advice on how do you encourage more people to start businesses in your area. So that happened pretty much up until 2011. Um, So it, it was an okay business. And again, you'll know this when you run a lifestyle business, you actually earn well because it's you, by which time I'd taken only one other person on. We were earning decent money. That was coming to me because I didn't have big overheads. Anyway, we'll come up to current day where it's very different. But I ran it like that for a number of years, um, not growing it. Then in 2011, I met up with some people and launched a campaign called Startup Britain, And pretty much for three years, from 2011 to 2014-15, I pretty much stepped out of the business to run Startup Britain. It was a big campaign endorsed by government at the time, but not funded by government, where hopefully what we did is we got Britain's startup rate kind of up and running. And in 2015, I thought, I've got to get back into my business because, you know, that was a great campaign. We needed to run it. It was a moment in time, but I have a business to run. And I have to say, um, and this is where it comes into maybe the mindset of founders and entrepreneurs. I stepped back into the business. The conditions now were lots of people starting businesses, lots of government support. And I looked at Enterprise Nation and thought, I've got to grow this company because if I don't now, I'll regret that we didn't make the most of it. So 2017, we took on angel investment in the business and pretty much ever since then, we've scaled. We're now at 45 people. We're in the UK and Ireland. We're still growing. Um, Our turnover is pretty much doubling year on year. So we're kind of growing as a business. But I took a conscious decision to do that. So I don't think any of this happens by accident. So yeah, those early years I took the decision to just run it as a lifestyle business so I could get into what its shape was and what it should do. Then there was the Startup Britain chapter. Then I got back into business and thought, right, I've got to take this more seriously and let's kind of grow this entity.
1: But when you look through just even before you took on the Angel Better, the 2017 sort of point in time... In the years running up to that, off the back of Startup Britain and uh, Pop-Up Britain, you was also uh, providing a lot of advice to within government, and uh, so, uh, you was awarded the MBE for services to uh, SME. So the, the you was, I would believe, and I, well, I not believe, because I've obviously been observing, <laughs> observing, watching, and sort of admiring for quite a time now, the... Achieving a lot to support business at that time. So when you say the mindset, and when you found as an entrepreneur, sort of mindset, what from something you're already doing a lot, what triggers that something has to change now in the business? Effectively, as I'm hearing it, to then really sort of make a seismic change into the shape of the business, what it is now. The Do you have, is it an uncomfortable sort of thing, sort of like, this this is going to change my working days, this is going to take me out of my comfort zone? What goes through your mind at the point?
2: Yeah, it's still uncomfortable. It's incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, But again, I was talking to one of my team this morning, actually, is one of the things that I have had to get comfortable with is constant change. And so, yeah, when I took the decision to say, right, let's grow the business. And and bearing in mind, there was an external force kicking in, which was called an angel investor. (laughs) So the amazing entrepreneur who did invest in Enterprise Nation is an incredible man called Richard Harpin. He started a business called HomeServe, which he's um, just about looking to sell at the moment for many billions. Incredible, incredible man and company that he built. All of a sudden, when you've got somebody else who says, actually, I'm vested in you, and I think you could build this business. You've got your own motivation, but then you have somebody else who's saying, come on, we can do this. And so things that I had to change, um, quite a few things, and crikey, I am still learning about how to do this. One thing that took me a long time to realise is I always thought, I can build and scale Enterprise Nation with a tiny team. I can do this just with two people. And that is not the case. You need an army, you need a team, and therefore, to grow a business and hire people, you have to become a manager of people, which is not my greatest skill set. So the thing, back to that advice I gave of focus on what you do best and outsource the rest, the thing I still enjoy most in the business is business development. So growth. I also love the campaigning and the representation But when you're running a business with like a decent team and kind of decent revenues, you also have to be aware of the finances, the operations, the HR. So you're constantly out of your comfort zone because you're always learning how do we do things better. And just the other thing about a scaling company is you just you quite often get to points of friction. So you get to your first point of friction, which may be your first bad hire then you get over that. Then you get to a next point of friction, which is you've got a certain number of people, but they're not communicating with each other. So you get over that. Then you've got teams, and then you build a senior management team, and you want to build in succession planning. So you get over that. So you're just always on this learning journey. And it's incredible, and I would not change it for the world, but I do think an entrepreneur who wants to scale a business has to be ready for what that entails and the, the points of friction that it brings.
1: One of the things that you're an enterprise nation is really pushing at the moment is the mindset around advice. So the when you look at when when you think about advice, it's not always what you want to hear. <laughs> and I know from having investors as the same you know they will give you advice, and I know from coaching sometimes people don't want to hear what they hear. How does somebody get into the mindset to be ready to take on advice and deal with it, whether that's actually just accepting it or whether that's actually taking action on it, whatever it might be, because there's no point getting advice and just going, yeah, no, I know better. So how does somebody get into that mindset?
2: I think it's a great question. Um, And actually yesterday I was with someone who, whether I call him my mentor, my coach, someone actually who I sold my first business to. So he did the deal when he was at Tenon. I've known him for 20 plus years. He sits on my board and he is my go-to person because I'm a sole founder. I need that outlet. So the one thing I would say is particularly to individual founders, because I think when you've got co-founders, you can turn to each other for advice and you implicitly trust each other and therefore you probably will action that advice that you're giving to each other. But for sole founders, I definitely would suggest find that person, whatever you call them, mentor, coach, advisor. And in terms of how you get in the mindset, in my view, really good mentors and coaches are very good at letting you download (laughs) your issues which is certainly what I do with Richard I will meet him and I will say okay this is what we're going through these are the questions that are on my mind we could go this way or we could go that way here are the options and and again we quite often say this to business owners in talking out your own issues you will quite often come up with your own solutions what's super helpful is having someone who just guides that conversation But there are different types of advice. And again, something we talk about a lot at Enterprise Nation is surround yourself with all of it. There are some people who will just tell you what to do. So, for instance, we're currently changing our EMI scheme within Enterprise Nation. I have gone to our accountants and said, tell me how I do this. So in that kind of advice, someone needs to just tell me what to do. There's other bits of advice where you as the founder need to figure it out yourself. Yeah. But what's super helpful is having that mentor coach guide who helps you just articulate that in your own way. Yeah, that's
1: fantastic advice. The uh, I'd, I'd also add to it, um, depending on the type of advice you go into, uh, would you agree or, or not? That There's an element of humility that you have to be ready to... Um, go into a situation where you're going to an advisor or coach, mentor type environment and be prepared that actually I'm here because I might be going down the wrong track and this person may tell me something or point me in direction and as I said earlier, I might not like that, but this person's here supporting me. They want to help you. They're not just there just to tell you things are wrong.
2: It's really tough (laughs) and... um... This kind of almost resembles advice when people say to me, is there such a thing as a bad business idea? And Would you ever advise someone not to start a business? And I always say I would never do that because, again, this is quite a personal view. In my view, I think you need to get advice from lots of different places, constantly be open to new influences in terms of taking things. So I still read a lot to kind of assimilate lots of ideas and points of view. But then I do think you need to take that as a founder, assimilate that and say, right, which bits of that feel right for me? Because ultimately, and one thing we've spoken about a lot at Enterprise Nation over the past year has been the incredible resilience of small business owners and founders over the past few years. And one thing that I feel resilience comes from is founders reminding themselves why they started their business in the first place. And quite often that is rooted in the passion that they feel for the thing that they're doing. The thing that keeps me going about Enterprise Nation is can we support more small businesses? I am obsessed about getting great support to small business. When I have a really bad day and think, oh, my goodness, is this all worth it? I'm like, of course it is, because we can help more small businesses. So back to this kind of point of advice, I would say take all of that advice but only you know how that advice can direct your own passion for what you're doing in your business. So if you still think, despite (laughs) lots of people's advice, that you're not going in the wrong direction, I would say keep doing what you're doing. So definitely take advice, but you as the founder know the motivating reason as to why you started and why you continue to grow that business. So ultimately, at the end of the day, I still think the call is the call of the founder.
1: You've just touched on something which is related to like one of the questions I'd say really here. Um, so retake that where you get all the advice and somebody, um, you still think you're on the right track. If somebody knows that, you know, they might be in a nine to five or some sort of situation, they think, all right, I want to run my own business, but I don't know what I want to do. The... How? What would be the advice you'd give somebody like that? So, they, um, yeah, in fact, I won't lead the answer. Just you know, how would you approach that?
2: Yeah, well, the first thing is base it on the thing that you love to do. Yeah. So base it on your passion. Um, and I will never forget, and Richard, you may remember this, I spent years running an event called Startup Saturday where taught thousands of people. It was all in person. And... Um, And only once of the people who came to Startup Saturday, which I must have run over a period of six years, um, and the way we'd start Startup Saturday is, I'd say to everyone, we'd have 25 people in the room, and I'd say, let's go round, each of you share the idea that you're looking to start. And so many times I would hear, I'm a banker by day, but my real love in life is, is baking, or I work for the civil service, but what I love is graphic design. And of course, they were starting a business based on the thing that they loved only once in my living memory did I have a young girl who I remember she sat in the front row she said oh no 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 she said I don't have an idea she said I've come to ask you give me an idea that's going to make me the most money (laughs) and the moment she said it I was like get out I said you're not going to be able to sustain the hard times if that's all you're looking for you have to base this business on what's your passion your hobby your skill Or have you spotted a gap in the market that you think that you can fill, but you still have to feel passionate about that thing? And as I say, the past couple of years that we've had, so much turmoil for small businesses and everyone. But the thing that has kept small businesses going is, why did I do this? Oh, because I love it. Because I've seen a wrong in society that I want to write. Or I love the product that I'm producing. That's the thing. That passion is the thing that keeps you going.
1: Um, I'm going to quick fire. Couple of little, a uh, couple of questions just to sort of wrap up on. Okay? So the one of your books is st- um, spare room startup, and in there you talk about dispelling myths of running a home business. Yeah. Um, what would be some of those myths that you'd? That are just not true.
2: Well, fortunately, most of them have been busted. So okay. the myths used to be: it's not professionals to run a business from home. You couldn't invite your clients over, the kids would be tearing up <laughs> at their homework, etc. But of course, and you know, there's certain things, and we have to be careful in how we say this, that we can thank COVID for. One of them is now everybody starts and grows their business from home, and no one even questions it. So the biggest myths were. I used to talk about home business owners being in the home office closet. They never quite wanted to say to people, my business is run from home. But, of course, now it's a great way. You're saving on costs, you're saving on the commute,
1: and everybody's doing it. <laughs> the sales and marketing in any uh, research, any question, always comes up as the top challenge that small business owners, startups, will always raise. This is what we need the most help in. Why would you think that is?
2: oh, well, and I, I'm a big, and again, it's the number yeah. one item that everyone comes on to Enterprise yeah. Nation for. The reason why it is, and it's another reason why I love business owners, is because to keep a business going, you've constantly got to be selling and you've constantly got to be building your brand. And of course, the other thing you also have to do is make sure the finances are solid and the operations are fine. But this is the thing about entrepreneurs is what they know they have to do is keep those customers happy, keep those customers coming in. Because there's one American man, a guy called Professor Ken Moore, who I met many years ago, who was a teacher of entrepreneurship. And as he always used to say to me, Emma, if you're not making sales, you're not in business.
1: What do you feel are the greatest misconceptions that people may have about starting a business?
2: Yeah, good question. I think a lot of people, and even probably with what I've said in our session together today, people feel it's all encompassing, which if you want to scale a business, it is. And therefore, the one other thing I would just say is what we're also seeing incredibly popular at the moment is the rise of the side hustle. So if you feel, you know, I would love a bit of freedom and flexibility and I want to do my own thing, but I don't necessarily want to grow it to have UK and Ireland offices and 45 people, you don't have to do that. So many people start the business nights and weekends and they keep it on the side. They're very happy with keeping a day job and doing a side hustle. So I would say that's absolutely fine. And it's great to see it because any kind of entrepreneurship to me is good entrepreneurship. So I would say that's just kind of something to bear in mind. You don't have to give it all or nothing.
1: And you mentioned entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial spirits uh, a few times. And there are so many definitions of what is an entrepreneur. What is an entrepreneur to you?
2: Great question. An entrepreneur to me, and I also don't use the word that much, actually. So when we talk about the Enterprise Nation community, we refer to small business owners and founders. We don't often use that word. But ultimately, to me, an entrepreneur is someone who wants to make a difference. And the way in which they make that difference is through commerce and trade.
1: I would put you in that category. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) um, I'm really grateful for your time and having this conversation today. I would just like to wrap up with the last question, the how would you like to be remembered?
2: Oh, wow. I mean, that's got to be easy. Just as the person who hopefully helped loads of small businesses and helped people achieve their entrepreneurial dreams. And if there's one thing that could be said, I'd love to think that that could be the thing.
1: Uh, Absolutely confident you will be. So thank you very much, Emma. It's been lovely speaking to you, hearing your story. Uh, it's been inspiring and I look forward to continuing to see what Enterprise Nation does going forward.
2: Thank you Richard, it's been lovely chatting.
1: Thank you
0: for listening. Remember to like, share and subscribe to help spread the stories of small businesses across the UK. Have you got a story to share? Reach out to us on ukbf.co.uk and you never know, you could be the next UKBF story.